Good morning, church. Before we get into our message, I want to give a few praise reports uh, from our church to encourage you. Uh, Number one, I've been hearing that our prayer groups, our Zoom prayer groups, have been going very, very well, uh, very well attended, a lot of people in our community praying. I think these groups meet maybe five times a week, and so um, as well as many of you who had, a, am sure, a good time prayer and fasting for our country, for the church, for yourself, uh, we're, that prayer and fasting will continue to be a large part of what our church does going forward, but uh, that is a huge praise that we're turning to God first in this through prayer. Secondly, I think another praise is that I've been hearing a lot of great um, reports of the ministry that's been going on in our church, whether that's some creative ways to minister to the children, uh, to the women. Uh, I think uh, Kyle is going to be writing an original song that he's going to be sharing with us at our Good Friday service next week. Brian has stepped forward to help us out with our technology, as well as Johnny uh, with our website. And there's just so many of you that are Uh, just doing such a great job to do the work of the ministry during this time. Number three, I've been hearing that there are several of you that are are thinking about your Good Friday video testimony. Uh, As you remember, we're looking for maybe a dozen of you to submit a two to three minute testimony to reflect on some of the themes of Good Friday, uh, suffering, life, death, holiness, um, and and how have those themes gotten you to think amidst the coronavirus event and to just do a video selfie of yourself two to three minutes max send it over to brian we're going to put it together as part of our testimonies for good friday but i've been hearing that some of you uh are going to have some great things to share as words of encouragement to the body of christ as well as to the world who sees this number four uh, pleased to announce uh, an update on our galatians chapter 6 verse 9 and 10 fund this is a fund that we started a little over a week ago. And uh, many of you in the church and even outside the church have donated to this fund. The purpose of this fund is to help other believers who are in need, primarily in our church. And I'm pleased to report then that in the past 10 days, we've raised over $11,000 that is now being distributed to the believers that are most in need. And so praise God for that. Uh, If you want to donate to that, you can go to City Bible. Dot church and there's a donate button that says Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 and 10 fund at the top of the website. And so let me open this up in a word of prayer and then we'll go ahead and get into our message. Father, how appropriate it is on this Palm Sunday as you entered Jerusalem and received worship that we are worshiping you here. And you entered into Jerusalem in a chaotic situation and here we are likewise you were looking forward with joy it says to the cross knowing that it would ransom us and father you were entering into a time of suffering and trial and the church finds herself in a similar way albeit a smaller way in a time of suffering and trial and so help us lord during this time as we look to the cross during this Passion Week, uh, to our Savior, to build up, to encourage, to lead the church as she moves into uh, this time of the coronavirus event. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, we've been having a series of conversations 
in our church called The Church as Diaspora. And we've been focusing on how does the church move in an environment of great disruption and dispersion. When you look in the Old Testament, God's people, Israel and Judah, experienced diaspora as they were taken from the promised land by their enemies, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. When you look in the New Testament, the church experienced diaspora as she was persecuted and subsequently scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Today, the church is experiencing a spatial and digital diaspora during the chaos of the coronavirus event. And so we want to turn this morning to a central theme that the church is currently experiencing, and that is the theme of suffering and trials in the Christian journey. When you go back to January, uh, the coronavirus event felt removed from us. It was off in China, spreading throughout Asia. And when we came to February, we recognized it as a, a global threat, as it was starting to spread throughout Europe and had come to America, certain hot spots like the state of Washington and California and New York, among other places. When we got to March, our entire society had been disrupted and dispersed. And now here in April, we find ourselves feeling like we've been transported with breathtaking speed into some kind of real-life nightmare, some kind of real-life apocalyptic movie, some kind of real-life dystopian fictional novel where the whole world has come to a stop and we're all keeping our distance from one another. What has become clear during this time of disruption and dispersion is that suffering and trials will play a central role in our, experience, in our experiences. We're already seeing that on multiple fronts. Physically, people are suffering and going through trials. The president this week uh, told us that the next few weeks will be a time of tremendous suffering as uh, the disease spreads, as death tolls rise. And I think that uh, for a long time, the coronavirus, for many people in this country, felt something like it was six degrees removed from us, where uh, we would know people were dying, were getting sick, maybe we didn't know them. And then it has started to evolve into something that will start to feel two degrees removed from us, where uh, we start to recognize television personalities or sports figures. And in the days ahead, we will probably be looking at a time of physical trial and sufferings where the coronavirus event will start to feel more one degree removed, where we will know someone who is sick or know someone who knows someone who is sick and has passed away, or maybe it might even come closer to us. Um, in our ministry in downtown LA, you can imagine the physical suffering that uh, is starting to happen on Skid Row and the homeless. There's going to be physical suffering and trials. There's also going to be economic suffering and trials that we will uh, continue to see in the days ahead. Unemployment has skyrocketed at a rate faster than the Great Depression. And I've been talking with many of you in our church. Uh, one of you told me that you have $200 in your checking account. Another person told me you have $0 in your checking account. Several of you have had your jobs come to an end or are expecting that in the future. Uh, in the little Tokyo area that we have our downtown ministry in, it is a, a ghost town where they're trying to get people to patronize the local businesses because of all, all the economic hardship that they're experiencing. We're undergoing physical suffering and trials, economic physical uh, trials and suffering, and we're also going through relational physical trials and suffering. I talked to some of you in our church this week, and one person told me, I, I said, how are you doing? And they said, 
not good, I feel cut off. Another person I talked to said that they're having conflict in their relationships amidst this spatial and digital diaspora. We're also going to continue to have spiritual suffering and trials in the days ahead. I talked to another person in our church. I said, how are you doing? And they said, I'm struggling in my sins. And uh, that makes sense because the church was never designed to be a screen-to-screen artificial signal. The church was designed to be a face-to-face real-life relationship. And so we will continue to have days of suffering and trial ahead spiritually. And we're also going to have times of suffering and trial racially. I'm Asian American. <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, there's been a lot of news about over 1,000. Excuse me. <coughs> 1,000 instances of uh, verbal or physical abuse towards Asian Americans because of this event, blaming um, Asian Americans here in America for the coronavirus. And I think through all of this physical and economic and relational and spiritual and racial suffering, there is this sense that society and the church are holding on to these two anchors of hope through this. And in society, we're holding on to this anchor of hope that that says we hope that the government stimulus or future government stimuluses will stop the economy from going off a cliff, resulting in a Great Depression or Greater Depression. We're holding on in society to believing that we will be able to flatten the curve so that the future growth rate of the disease or death rate of the disease will uh, be mitigated to such a degree that the healthcare system does not uh, uh, become overwhelmed and, and crash. There is this hope in society that through the collective goodness of the American spirit that we will persevere through this and on the back end of this that we will recover as a people, as Americans. And so I think society has this sense of hope that we are anchoring ourselves amidst this uh, suffering and trial. And then when you come to the church, there is also this anchor of hope where we as Christians are looking at this and saying, we hope that through this God will work for those, all things together for those who love him to grow us in our holiness, to grow us in Christian maturity, to strengthen the church. And, and, and he will work through this for the good for the church in our holiness and also to increase the effectiveness of our witness to an unbelieving world. And so through all of this suffering and trial, there are these societal anchors, there are these church um, anchors. But I think it's important to remember that we can anchor ourselves in hope but the reality is, is that in the days ahead, there will be much suffering and trials that will require some of us to make difficult decisions. I, I moved my incapacitated mother, uh, who's um, into her early 80s now, I moved her into a residential care facility this week, and I had to make many life and death decisions for her uh, to protect her. And these were difficult decisions to make. Uh, I'm sure you're having to make difficult decisions as well. Some of us will experience the ugliness of human fallenness. Either uh, we see online or we will experience that personally. Others of us may end up having to say goodbye to loved ones or we will know someone who has had to say goodbye to some loved ones. But all of us will be adjusting to the new normal where words like uncertainty separation, 
sacrifice, and loss will define our reality for the foreseeable future. And so when you come to the church, there is an encouragement that through all of this suffering and trials, we want to replace our panic with prayer, our fear with faith, and our worry with worship and acts of witness to an unbelieving world. Uh, We are mindful of the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Philippian church, and he said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and persevere, persevere and strive forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so we want to live a more prayerful life, a more faithful life, a more worshipful life, a more witnessing life. But I also believe that it is important for us to remember that as a church, God often accomplishes a more prayerful, faithful, worshipful, and witnessing life through the context and the experience of suffering and trials. And so today, we want to look at some of the words of the Holy Spirit who spoke to the Apostle Peter about the spiritual dynamic of suffering and trials in the life of a Christian. The Apostle Peter wrote 1 Peter to Gentile Christians in Asia Minor, uh, it's modern-day Turkey, and he was primarily writing 1 Peter to encourage them and warn them about what happens spiritually in suffering and trials. He said that the suffering and trials that the Gentile Christians were experiencing were various, in his words, fiery trials that deeply grieved them. Fiery trials that deeply grieved them. And they were going through several uh, trials that grieved them. One of the trials that they went through was persecution. little history The Roman persecution in Christian history began with Jesus going to the cross and dying on a Roman cross. When you look throughout the uh, Christian history of Roman persecution of Christians, and you go throughout the first 300 years of Christian history, what we discover is that uh, Roman persecutions of Christians was largely sporadic and regional. Um, There are notable uh, times of persecution in Christian history by Roman emperors. Uh, Nero, in the early to mid-60s, his persecution of Christians. There was uh, Trajan Decius in the uh, 3rd century who persecuted Christians. There was the Diocletian persecution of Christians in the early 4th century. But largely for the first 300 years, in terms of Christian history, persecution was sporadic and it was largely regional, outside of some notable examples. And church historians estimate that through those first 300 years, there was something less than 10,000 Christians who were directly martyred by the Roman Empire. Now, any Christian who was martyred is a tragedy. But 10,000 Christians over 300 years, 10,000 Christian people dying is roughly the same amount of people who have died up until this date, April 5th, 2020, of the coronavirus event here in America. But just to give you context, uh, Christian organizations estimate that today there are approximately 100,000 Christians who are persecuted and martyred uh, every year. And so our persecution is numerically very large today. And when 
the Apostle Peter was writing 1 Peter to the Gentile Christians in Asia Minor. Uh, it was within the context of this first major Roman persecution under the Emperor Nero. Nero, it is said, burned down Rome um, intentionally, maybe so he could build more uh, to rebuild Rome. And he blamed it on the Christians. And thus, there was an outbreak of persecution and suffering and execution at his hands. And so, Peter wrote to persecuted Christians during this time. They were also experiencing uh, suffering and trials in their own marriages. You had mixed ma mixed spiritual marriages uh, where there was a, a believing uh, wife with an unbelieving husband or there was a believing husband with an unbelieving wife. And you can imagine the spiritual conflict and suffering that would happen in a spiritually mixed marriage. Thirdly, they were experiencing hostility in the workplace. Workers were um, making it very difficult for Christian workers. And fourthly, and most significantly, they, uh, the Christians that Peter wrote to were experiencing spiritual attack from Satan himself. Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion who looks around to devour other Christians, and that Christians are to be soberly aware of his attacks on them. And so the Christians that Peter wrote to were going through various uh, fiery trials that grieve them. And I think that 1 Peter has a lot to say to us today amidst our own season of suffering and trial. And what I want to do is look at four ways that God is at work through suffering and trials as Christians go through diaspora, through um, the teaching of the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter. Four ways that God is at work through suffering and trials as Christians experience diaspora. So let's go to the first. God works through suffering and trials to test the genuineness of our faith. To test the genuineness of our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, Peter wrote that the believers were rejoicing in their trials. And he said, quote, This is a testing of the genuineness of your faith that it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter said that through suffering and trials, God is going to test our faith, test the genuineness of it. And for those who endure, we will receive praise and glory and honor from Jesus. What is the testing of your faith looking like? today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we know that our faith is being tested. What is the scope of the testing of your faith during this time? Is the largest test of our faith going to be that we uh, successfully sheltered in place, stayed away from one another? I mean, that's an important health guideline, of course, we want to um, observe. But is that going to be the real test of the genuineness of our faith, how well we sheltered? Will it be that we were able to not catch the coronavirus? And through that, that was the greatest test of our faith. And that would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? Something we all pray for, for our families and ourselves. Is the largest test of the genuineness of our faith that we successfully navigated the stock market, lost as little money, and were able to um, reinvest at the right time when the stock market eventually recovers. Is that going to be the greatest genuine test of our faith? Will the genuine test of our faith be defined as how we 
conducted ourselves on social media, what kind of posts we did, what kind of posts we like or, or, or did not, will that be the ultimate test of the genuineness of our faith through this time of suffering and trial? I think that for all of us, God will bring into our Christian journey moments that will genuinely test our faith beyond those examples. That God will sovereignly orchestrate events to where we will have to make decisions, sometimes at a moment's notice, that will really be a test of our faith or even a leap of our faith. I've been mentioning in the weeks prior that uh, there were just moments that came up where I was at Trader Joe's the other day and I saw an elderly person in line. I was the first person in line and I, I just felt that the Lord um, wanted me to offer that person my place in line. Uh, they declined. But that was just a moment of, of faith that was a test that I felt the Lord had for me. I mentioned uh, maybe about three weeks ago, I was in a, a local restaurant before there was the shelter-in-place order. And one of the people that was serving me uh, asked, you know, if I was a Christian, I was wearing a Christian shirt. And I said, yes. And he said, what do you think about this whole event? And I said, I think it means that you need to ask whether you're right with God. And he says, I know I'm not, and I'm scared. And I just asked if I could pray for him right there on the spot, and I shared the gospel with him. We only had about 60 seconds together. But that was a test of faith. Did I really believe that the gospel uh, would speak to people amidst this event? And there are other, other examples that you and I could give both now, in the past, or certainly in the future, of how the Lord will genuinely will test the genuineness of our faith. Um, there's other tests I feel that I've been um, going through that I've actually failed in the past few weeks. I lost my temper with someone uh, from the church. Uh, I was under a lot of stress, it's no excuse, and I spoke some harsh words in a harsh tone. And I had to go up to this person and tell them and apologize for that. That was out of line. And I've also realized this week, with all of the changes in the church, I've been waking up at 6 in the morning every morning. I'm literally working every day for the past three weeks straight up until about 11 o'clock at night with all the changes in the church, as well as taking care of my incapacitated mother to move her into a residential care facility, as well as my own family. Um, I've realized I've been working so hard on those noble, important endeavors that I have not been spending enough time personally in prayer. Um, listening to worship music, reading God's Word just for my own edification. And so I am going to correct that this week and pass that test. How will you be tested? How will the genuineness of your faith be tested in the days to come? What Peter reminds us here in this passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, he says, As we rejoice in our trials, because the Lord is revealing to us the genuineness of our faith, that Jesus will give us praise and glory and honor for those whose faith is tested and revealed to be genuine. And I am looking forward to that, and that commendation from uh, the Lord, and I believe you will have that as well as we faithfully continue to follow him and serve him. So the first way that God works through suffering and trials that Peter teaches is that God tests the genuineness of our faith. And hopefully we will receive a commendation from Jesus Christ. Secondly, another way that God tests us through trials and suffering is that 
he reminds us that following Jesus is about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That one of the goals of the Christian faith, one of the outcomes of the Christian faith, is that we are all striving to identify, in the words of Paul in the book of Philippians, to identify not with just with the power of Christ's resurrection, but with the fellowship of his sufferings. That is a tough one for a lot of us, and myself included. I love the idea of following Jesus and experiencing his knowledge, his power, his wisdom, his holiness, his forgiveness. But in following Jesus, I also have to be reminded that I'm also to identify with his sufferings, with his trials, to the extent I can as a human being. Uh, This kind of event where you see people getting sick or people dying reminds us that life is short and we're not living for this world. We're living for the world to come in all of eternity. Um, I've been reminded of that over the past eight years as I've seen my father die, I've seen my sister die, uh, I've seen my mother have uh, a stroke that incapacitated her, Um, I've seen a couple of my aunts die as well, and then we're having some other health issues in my extended family beyond that. And I have been around a lot of of suffering through uh, my extended family over the past several years, and it has reminded me of how that suffering has um, caused me to look at life as this life on this earth as something that's very brief and that the life that we will share in eternity is what we are to look forward to and that has been a reminder to me as I've been around suffering and death in my extended family. I've also experienced persecution in the past six months for my Christian faith. I had to make certain decisions that I felt were um, in the will of God and that were based on scripture and I suffered some persecution for that. And at first, as I was going through that experience, I would ask myself, oh, you know, why me? Why do I have to go through this? This is so unfair. This is wrong. God, do you see what's happening to the story down here? And yet I was reminded of, again, these words of the Apostle Paul, that I'm not only just to long for the power of the resurrection, but also for the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus. And when I realized that, that the Lord was using this experience to sanctify me, to identify with the persecution that Jesus experienced, um, it strengthened me spiritually. We're to share in Christ's sufferings. Uh, I'm going to make a comment on something that was put out in the last week or so uh, in our culture. I mentioned previously that there's been many reports, over a thousand by this time, of racial acts against Asian Americans, whether that's verbally or physically. And recently there was a statement that was put out by a group of Asian Americans that uh, denounced these acts of verbal and physical violence against Asian Americans. And I read through the entire statement a couple times. Uh, At the end of the statement, it called upon the Church of Jesus Christ. It used many scriptures. And it said that uh, whoever was writing the statement said, we call upon the Church of Jesus Christ to stand with us in denouncing um, racism, to teach about the history of racism in our country from the pulpit, to teach your, uh, to encourage your congregations to patronize local businesses that are Asian-owned that have maybe been disproportionately affected by the coronavirus event, and to, from the pulpit, hold 
politicians accountable if they don't if they don't speak out against this kind of racism. Now, there's a lot that could be said about that. The one thing I'm going to say about that is that what I did not see in that statement is the teachings and encouragement and the warnings of suffering and trials from the Apostle Peter. See, when you read First Peter, who spoke about suffering and trials, he encouraged the Gentile Christians, and he didn't say, go hold the Roman politicians accountable, decry racism to Rome. There was all of that that was happening in Rome, and I'm not saying that racism is a good thing, it's a terrible thing. What I am saying is one thing, is that the Apostle Peter's encouragement to the Christians in 1 Peter went like this. You respond to suffering and trials by showing your good works to an unbelieving world, by godly submission out of your obedience to the Word of God. Uh, Jesus said to pray for your enemies. We are to share the gospel with those who are persecuting us. And we are ultimately to rejoice in suffering that we face, knowing that it is fellowship with the sufferings of Christ, especially on behalf of Christians. I did not see any of that in the language of the statement. And so in light of scripture, we want to be reminded that our response to suffering should be focused on our good works. It should be focused on prayer. It should be focused on sharing the gospel. It should be focused in having a godly perspective of saying, I'm identifying with the suffering of Christ and I take joy in that even amidst suffering and trial. Number three, a third way that God is at work through suffering and trial in the life of Christians who are going through diaspora is that God uses suffering and trials to help us to overcome sin to help us to overcome our sinfulness, our flesh, our sinful nature, the idols that we bow down to. God uses suffering for that. Um, you know what, actually before I, I move on to that, uh, I forgot to mention the verse about point number two, which I think is important, so let me backtrack. Sharing in Christ's sufferings, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says that Christ suffered for us, that we should follow in his steps. We should suffer along with him. Verse 23 of chapter 2, that when Christ was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he trusted in his Father who judges justly. And you skip forward to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, and Peter says, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. And so we want to be reminded that our biblical perspective on suffering and trials comes because of the high calling of us following the example of Jesus and following in his steps. And God will bless that. All right, so let's move forward to, step, to uh, the third point. God uses suffering and trials to overcome sin. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Peter writes, Christ suffered. He, he, he died for our sins, quote, that he might bring us to God. Christ suffered for our sins, that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Peter writes that as Christ physically suffered, he writes, whoever has suffered in, in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Let me read that last part again. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin 
so as to live for the rest of the time, no longer in the flesh and human passions, but for the will of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. God is going to use this coronavirus in our uh, event, in our life. And he's going to work through suffering and trial to help us to overcome sin in our lives through that suffering and trial. I'm going to share with you something that um, one of the members of our church shared with me on a phone call recently. And I asked for his permission. He said that um, I could share this in length. In length. Uh, I, one of my friends here is, is uh, Jay. He was doing worship. And he... You know, for I've known Jane for about 15 years, and he, um, when we first met each other, I found myself doing more of the talking to Jay than the listening. But as I've seen Jay grow in his Christian walk, I find myself doing more of the listening to Jay than the talking because I think he has so much wisdom. And so I asked him if I could um, quote him about his own journey of suffering. And so I'm going to go ahead and read this because I think it's very insightful of the sanctifying influence of suffering and trials. Jay wrote this about his own experience. Um, he had a health issue recently, so he got him to really reflect on suffering and trials. He says, quote, God is with me. The old Jay, the pessimistic, negative Jay, would have been very, uh, it would have been very difficult to develop into the person that God has developed me into. He writes, he said, I used to be a very depressed person, but thankfully God has been working on my life over the past two years. God has been working on me in that I don't, I don't dwell on my perceived problems as much as I used to. I used to dwell on things I didn't like about my life. And now God has been working to cause me to be thankful for the things that I do have. And God has given me an ability to see that things could be worse. I could have terminal cancer. I could be in pain. Things could always be worse. Even though I have not, by the world standards, achieved all of these great accomplishments, God has grown me, he writes, spiritually to influence the small sphere that I do have. I look at people in my life that have achieved more, but they don't have Christ. What if I had gotten these things and lost my faith and got distracted? I can recognize that it doesn't mean anything if you don't have Jesus. I used to get really depressed from all the opportunities that I did not take advantage of. I was so spiritually immature because I was not Christ-centered, and God saved me from getting into relationships that I would have destroyed. Maybe God, in his sovereignty, worked it out so that I did not make a bad decision. I think when you do suffer and go through things uh, that you don't get in life, it causes you to ask why. There were so many times I would ask that, but because of my own sin, I did not seek after him. But it forced me, Jay says, to rely on him because that is all that I have now. I am finally letting God break down those things in my life in a way I have not before. Let me say that last line again. It was so, I think, um, insightful. Jay says again, because of my sin, I did not seek after him. It forced me to rely on him because that is all I have now. I'm finally letting God break down those things in my life that I have not let him break down before. Jay talks about the role of suffering and trials in his life, how he had to rely on God, how he had to take ownership um, for his own um, sin in his life. 
But he didn't become bitter. He used that and he offered that up to God and God has sanctified him and he's giving him a heavenly spiritual perspective on his experiences and his life and he is now allowing God to change him in ways that he did not before through this experience of suffering and trial. And that confirms only what Peter was saying to us in 1 Peter 3, that he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, no longer to live for human passions, but now to live for the will of God. And so I think God is going to do that through this season. He's going to help us in our sanctification against sin. And fourth and finally, we're to be reminded not only is God at work through suffering trials, through testing the genuineness of our faith, through reminding us that we are to share in the sufferings of Christ, and that is a good thing for us spiritually, that God will use suffering and trials to help us to overcome sin. But fourth and lastly for today, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter that suffering, God works through it communally. That suffering is a communal experience. In 1 Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter writes that the prophets of the Old Testament were searching for when Christ the Messiah would come. And it was revealed to them that all of their sufferings, all of their waiting, was only going to be revealed to those who would come after them sometime in the future. And so the prophets realized, and they took, I think, great encouragement from realizing that all of their struggles, all of their trials and suffering were for the purpose of helping those who would come after them. Suffering could be a communal experience where we realize that our suffering may not just be for ourselves, but to in some way instill hope and encouragement for those who come after us. Uh, Peter also gives the example in 1 Peter where he talks about when we suffer at the hands of an unbelieving world, that we are continued to honor Christ in our hearts, that when we are slandered, we are not to retaliate. And as we suffer, as we honor Christ through that, um, those who are persecuting the church will be put to shame. Suffering is a communal experience. God can use our suffering if we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Peter reminds us, to uh, sanctify an unbelieving world, to convict an unbelieving world. <coughs> and thirdly, Peter reminds us that suffering is also a communal experience in that he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 that the devil prowls about like a, a roaring lion to devour Christians. And he, Peter reminds us that as we're sober-minded, as we are reminded we are in a spiritual war against a deadly uh, an evil spiritual enemy, Satan and his cohorts, that we are to be reminded that there are other brethren, other Christians who are also suffering throughout the world, that we are not the only ones suffering. Um, they're not something particularly special about us. And I think that's very encouraging that there's a wider picture of suffering that's going on <clears throat> that we may enter into. And so suffering is a communal experience. Sometimes it's used to help others. Sometimes it's, uh, God uses you to help convict others of evil. Sometimes God uses the sufferings of others to remind us that we are not alone in our suffering. And so as we are entering and in the middle and uh, you're really, really more at the beginning of this coronavirus event, and we don't know how long this will go on for. We don't know how many people will get sick, how many people will pass away. 
But what we do know, as we've learned from First Peter uh, here today, that the Apostle Peter has reminded us there is, um, there is a work that is being done through suffering. God is at work through you, Christian. He's at work through the church. So be encouraged. This suffering uh, that we will encounter in the days ahead will not be in vain. God is going to work through this for the good of his people. And I want to close with something that Peter reminds us of in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter wrote, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And I want to close this by reminding us as the church that the Lord knows we are his children. Um, he's going to rescue us. He's going to rescue the godly from trials, either in this life or in the life to come. No matter what happens, this is the worst trial that we will face or other trials like this in our human experience. When we get to heaven, um, the Lord will have delivered us from all of that for all those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But as Peter says, he also wants to remind us that the Lord also knows how to keep the unrighteousness, the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And I want to say a word um, of warning to you, uh, a word of, uh, to, to implore you that if you're not walking with the Lord or if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that Peter is warning us that during these trials that there is a punishment that is awaiting for those who do not believe and a judgment by God. And um, we, you may go through trials here on this earth, but it will be nothing compared to the trial of God's judgment for those who do not turn their lives over to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10 that if anyone confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you willing to do that? Uh, there's no better time than in a season where we're thinking about issues of life and death than to make yourself right with the Lord through professing your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for the church that she would be strengthened during this time of suffering and trial and for the days ahead. We pray that um, you would sanctify her. You would remind her of the words of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter. Um, we pray that our witness and our conduct would be worthy. We pray, Father, that um, we would have a faith that is genuine and that has been tested and come through the trials that will grieve us, these fiery various trials that we will face in the days ahead. And, Father, I pray that we may take great uh, strength from the community uh, of the body of Christ who are similarly going through these trials and suffering. Lord, I want to pray for any out there who have never professed their life and to give their life to Jesus Christ. May they come to you in repentance. May they seek you out for forgiveness. And may they declare themselves um, as followers of Jesus Christ and commit themselves to following Jesus as Lord all the days of their life. Lord, we also want to finally pray for the leaders who lead our country, our, the government leaders from the highest level to our local leaders. May you give them wisdom so that um, we may live a quiet and godly and peaceful life. I pray that um, you would lead them to Christ as well during this time, Lord. 
and that you would strengthen the hearts, especially of those believers um, who lead us as they make difficult decisions for the days ahead. Um, Lord, be with those who are on the front lines, who work in the hospitals, and who care for the sick. Uh, Would you encourage them, strengthen their resolve, and protect them? I pray, finally, Lord, for any who would be sick or even dying um, in the hospital. Father, uh, may you speak to them, may you reach them in their final hours of life so that they may reach out to you and find you, Lord, and to be comforted by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys.